So welcome to episode three of the Birding Life podcast, the podcast where we get to learn more about birds and the birders that chase them. My name is Adam and I'm your host on The Birding Life. What has been mind-blowing is seeing all the places in the world that this podcast is going to. Places include South Africa, the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, Sweden, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, Kenya, the Netherlands, Poland, Spain, and a whole lot more places. I'm grateful for everyone that takes the time every week to listen to the show. And next week, I'm excited to announce that we'll be having our first international guest. I really can't wait. Tonight's guest is South African birder and co-founder of Expedition Birding, John Kinghorn. John is a certified terrestrial and national bird guide through Fogasso. This pursuit for not only birds, but all things wild has taken him to various corners of the globe. At 19 years old, John was the youngest person to successfully see more than 800 species of birds in a calendar year in Southern Africa. In this episode, John talks about everything from how he got into birding, birding as a teenager, his favorite birding snacks, his favorite places to bird in South Africa, as well as how you can grow as a birder. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast because at the end of the podcast, I'm going to tell you how you can win a copy of Fancy's Bird Book a field guide for kids. But before we chat to John, I'm excited as always to speak to Nicolette from BirdLife Port Natal. This podcast is proudly associated with BirdLife Port Natal, one of South Africa's oldest bird clubs. BirdLife Port Natal is the bird club that covers the Etiquini area in KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa. So again, I want to welcome Nicolette Forbes. Nicolette is the current chair of BirdLife Port Natal. She's doing an amazing job leading this club. And it's always great to have you on the show. So welcome again, Nicolette. Hi, Adam. Thank you very much for having us. So the talk around South Africa and I think around a lot of the world has been the fact that we've been on lockdown. But what's been exciting is that as a bird club, the club has been very active during lockdown. What are some of the ways that members have stayed connected during this lockdown? Well, we've got quite good communication channels within the club, and these are developing all the time. We've obviously had our lockdown bird count competition, which has kept people engaging all through the week and then on a weekly basis when they have to send in their lists. But we have a variety of things. Obviously, while we're not in lockdown, there are meetings, regular meetings that occur. We have a once a month meeting on a Wednesday evening where we have talks and we get together as members and share sightings and and other things. But at the moment, not being able to do that, what is quite lovely is that some of our other communication channels have worked really well. And they are channels that have been in place for a while. So we have an email server group, a Google, a Google chats group, a Google group that allows all members to be in contact via email. And obviously the club committee sends out emails via that to speak to all club members. But members themselves are able to post anything of interest or questions through that Google group server. So that is one of the main ways because most people are on email now. But we also have a number of uh, social media channels. So we've got a BirdLife Port Natal Facebook page, an official page, which allows us to send out official notices and and, and items of interest, bits of research, as well as the BirdLife Port Natal Facebook group, 
and the group allows much more dialogue from the members. They're able to post photographs and ask questions and ask for help with IDs. And that works very well. And we have a, a Twitter and an Instagram feed for the clubs. So all of those things work in synchrony. So if you're not getting the, the news via Facebook, then you are getting it. You are able to access it via Twitter and Instagram as well. The other much newer form of communication that we've introduced is a WhatsApp group. And the WhatsApp group is, is for members only. And that keeps a group of people really in touch with messages that through, through lockdown have been flying across that group. So it's been a wonderful way that we can all stay connected. And I've seen people chatting and in inverted commas via most of these portals in ways that they haven't connected before. So people who have never really connected within the club on how connecting via this medium. So you were saying that, for example, the WhatsApp group is exclusively for members. How can someone take a membership and become part of the club? Because I mean, I'm sure they'd like to be a part of the communication that's taking place in the club. That would be great. And we would encourage people, you know, bird clubs and civil society seems to be something that has become much less important, which is, which is very sad. And we actually had our honorary president, David Allen, at our AGM bemoaning the fact that people moan, complain that civil society is breaking down. And this is part of the reason, is people don't seem to see the relevance of belonging to a bird club. But there's obviously lots of benefits. And some of those are becoming very obvious during this lockdown where people feel like they, and they've made the comment that they feel like they're part of a, a birding family, particularly people who are sitting at home alone or do not necessarily have lots of other things to occupy them. So if you see the benefits of that kind of communication as being key, then the club is definitely starting to fill a major gap. But in other ways, the club is also very engaged in conservation and taking the whole idea of conserving our birds and habitats quite seriously in partnership with our national affiliate organization, BirdLife South Africa. So if people want to join, it's as simple as just sending an email to blpn.members at gmail.com and asking for a membership form. Or alternatively, you can download your own membership form on the website, which is at blpn.org under the membership category. And it's just a link that you need to click on. And it's a PDF that downloads. It's two pages. It's one page that you need to fill in. And then just there are instructions on where to send that form and how you, you pay for that membership. And it's done literally in a, in a day's turnaround time. And I really encourage people to join the club. And the reason for that is I know we've been chatting offline about, you know, provide more opportunities for members to connect. So I think it's a good time to join the club right now. It is. And there's a sign we've only just touched on some of the benefits. And I think we did speak about some of the benefits in a, in a previous podcast. But it's things that you, you don't anticipate being part of, a, of the WhatsApp chat and getting the almost now daily emails. Although we try and not swamp members with emails, we try and send out only what is relevant. But getting emails delivered to your inbox as a club member so you know what's going on, where the next walk is going to be, obviously that's when we're not in lockdown, or where the next course is going to be, discounts for club members for certain things, as well as some fantastic competitions and prizes that we've given out over this past year. So Nicolette, I really want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. What we'll do again today is we will, all the links, the necessary links of how people become members, how they can connect with the club, we'll put that in the comment section below. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to chatting next time again.
Thanks, Adam. And if I can just add one point, that just by becoming a member, people can feel like they have really done something for the birds mm. and for wildlife and habitats in general, because that membership immediately means that, in a sense, you have a vote towards changing policies and legislation. So there's a really good reason to become members, aside from all the perks, the 80 activities that we do a year, the different presentations and the access that it gives you to that. So thank you for allowing us to profile the club, and we are hoping that this will bring us floods of new members. Thanks a lot, Nicolette. I really look forward to chatting to you next time. Cheers, Adam. Okay, John, what a lot of people might not know is this podcast has probably been two years in the making. Can you believe it? No, it's quite crazy. I'm glad we're finally able to make time and uh, and chat because it's definitely something that's been put off for quite some time because you've been busy, I've been busy. So I'm so, I'm so chuffed that we can now finally uh, take some time and chat. So John, I just was thinking um, when we first started talking about this podcast, I was probably quite new in birding then. And the thing that I knew about you, and I think this is almost how you were defined at that time, is the guy who had done the birding big year. And two years on, there, a lot has happened in your life. A lot has changed. A lot of, you've, you've grown a lot in terms of different areas of your life. So how's life changed since that time? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite crazy because it, it was actually six years ago, roughly, that I finished my big year. And it's it's just saying that it's six years ago is is mind blowing in itself because it really just feels like yesterday that I undertook that mammoth task. I mean, life has life has changed, uh, you know, quite positively since then. And I think the big year sort of just set the tone for my birding passion and the way forward. Uh, you know, during my big year, I was working part time uh, and continued working part time for about five years for a large bird tour operator. Uh, and then about a year and a half ago, parted ways and Tony and myself, Tony, my fiance, decided that we were going to start our own bird tour company, Bird and Biodiversity Global Birding Tour Company. And, you know, I think that's, it's been fantastic because it's, you know, in six years, we've been able to, you know, find, truly find our, our roots within this passion and this hobby, this lifestyle of ours. It's not really a hobby, it's more lifestyle, really. It's great because we've grown as individuals, as birders, and, and you know, we've had a, been extremely fortunate to have, you know, plentiful experiences and some wonderful memories and time in the field. So it's, it's been fantastic these past six years. It just, it feels like they've gone by so quickly. With you doing the big year, a lot of people know you as that person. How do you think that affected how people possibly saw you as a birder? I don't know. I think it, I definitely think people looked at it. Um, there were some people who would have looked at it and said, you know, who, who, would, who would take off an entire year just to run around and chase birds. And I think there were definitely some people who weren't exactly, I wouldn't say supportive of it, but weren't exactly understanding of it perhaps because, you know, to them, they, they might have been more towards birding purist type of individuals who perhaps would enjoy, you know, simply watching the birds or appreciating each bird for what it is rather than racing around in a time frame just to see as many birds as you can. And I think that big years are often construed in that way because basically I mean that is what it is um you are you've taken 365 days and you are racing around and you are 
jumping on planes at last minutes and you are doing crazy things just to see as many birds as you can because you're working against the clock. So I think a lot of people don't enjoy that side of birding. But then there's a lot of people who can understand that side of birding as well. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I do think there were people who, who didn't quite understand it, but then I think there were people who could. And, you know, I think for people who knew me as an individual, they would know that I, I valued and I thoroughly enjoyed every single bird that, that I saw, you know, and, and yes, it was about racking up the numbers, but man, oh man, did I enjoy and, and really make sure that I appreciated everything and every place that I, everything I saw and every place that I went to throughout. So when a lot of people think of bird watching, they think of some older folks sitting with binoculars and looking at birds. Now, you don't fit into that mold. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into birding? I'm 25 now. I started birding when I was about 12. I know of you know, so many people have started birding since I can remember, like in diapers and that already. That that wasn't me, unfortunately, although I wish I had started when I was younger because it's just, it's just, it's so incredible. And birding really has just changed my life and the way I've seen my life and the path and that that I'm on. You know, it's just been so beneficial. But I mean, I started when I was 12. I was super into wildlife, super into nature. You know, and that was all thanks to my family, my parents who, you know, really, really enforced that from since I was in diapers. One, one trip to the Kruger, um, one year I decided to pick up the bird book in the car and try and identify a bird that we just flushed off the road. And the next morning I then started jotting down the birds that we were seeing on the trip. And the first bird on my list was Southern Yellow-Billed Hornbill. So from there onwards, it sort of just went downhill <laughs> um, in, a, in a good way because I fell head over heels for this, for this hobby. And I would then, you know, in grade seven and grade eight, grade nine, grade 10, you know, all my sort of formative years into, into the end of prep school and into high school, I was uh, finding myself taking the afternoons off, you know, telling my mom, no, fetch me at five o'clock in the evening. Uh, I'd pack my binoculars into my school bag, keep them in my locker throughout the day. And I would then, the minute school was out, take them out, leave my bags in my locker and off I'd go. Uh, you know, on the campus, seeing what I could try and see basically for as many days of the week as possible. And that's how my, my passion just continued to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow throughout those, those years in school. So you said you started when you were 12 years old. So how were your experiences as a young birder? Did, your, did the guys at school and friends, and that, how did they, they see this hobby? Because I think it's probably changed a little bit in the last few years, but it wasn't always seen as a, a cool hobby. It's definitely changed, especially in recent years. The school environment is always a tricky one. The modern school environment can be extremely harsh and, uh, and ruthless. And I do think that for individuals who are you know, involved in a hobby or a pastime which doesn't fit the normal mold, are susceptible to obviously being, you know, outcasted or viewed in a different light or something like that. So, I mean, there were times where I didn't have it easy. You know, I was seen as sort of that nature guy. But you know what? At the end of the day, I was fortunate enough to have people who were extremely supportive. Like I said, I had my family and, you know, they continuously encouraged me to continue with this passion and this hobby of mine. And I mean, I was so hell-bent and I was so passionate about everything, not just birds, but wildlife and conservation in general. That you know, at the end of the day, I just ended up just trying to block everything out. And, you know, it was for the best, the best at the, at the, at the end of the day, because, you know, the minute you leave school, you very quickly realize that um, it's just that it's just that environment. And, you know, the minute people start and individuals start maturing, that they, uh, that things change. And it's actually not, 
you're not that weird nature guy and it's not a weird hobby and it's just it's just yeah i think it's the modern day school environment wherever you might find yourself in the world which can be extremely ruthless and unaccepting of you know unique interests uh you know that don't fit the 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 usual mold so yeah i mean it's it's definitely changed now um i think there's a strong movement towards environmental education and environmental appreciation. And I think the school environment is becoming a lot more understanding and embracing of that, which I think is absolutely fantastic. And I think, uh, you know, youngsters in today's day and age are able to explore those interests that they might have in nature. So I think it's brilliant. And moving forward into the varsity environments, I think, you know, as, as individuals mature, I think it's even there a lot more, you know, accepting and understanding of it. I mean, there's so many young birders today that we know of who are in university at the moment um, who had a slight interest in school, but again, didn't quite fit into that mold. But the minute they left, the minute they started socializing with individuals who shared a like-minded passion and where they were in an environment where it was mature individuals who were more accepting of, of their unique hobbies and interests, it was where their passion was really able to, you know, to take flight. And do you have any other hobbies besides birding? Oh yeah. Um, no, I love reading. Uh, I was a rugby coach for, um, for five years as well. Um, at my old school at St. Stephen's Boys College. Yeah, I do karate regularly. I've been doing karate for the past also 10 years of my life, roughly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I love, I love all forms of biodiversity. So not really just always birding, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's important as well to, even though you have, a major major interest that you always make sure that there is something else that keep, that, that you know that keeps your interest going because um yeah i don't know i think too much of one thing can you know impact you negatively um whenever it, whether it's in the moment or whether it's later down the line but i do think it's extremely healthy to have some or other kind of hobby passion or interest that can also keep keep you stimulated and you mentioned earlier that your fiance is tony how did the two of you meet yeah, so it's an interesting story. Um, Tony and her family had just found a great snipe in Kruger, which I think was the first photographically confirmed record in South Africa. And uh, she posted a picture on Facebook on the, one of the Kruger groups or something like that. And I ended up commenting on it and congratulating her. And yeah, we ended up just talking and uh, we became good friends after that, you know, for a number of years. And then uh, one thing just led to another. And uh, I'm extremely you know, fortunate to have her in my life. And you know, not often are people lucky enough to to stumble upon a partner who shares the same or if not more of a passion and enthusiasm about a particular interest that they might have. And I, I was just very lucky to find that in Tony because it's not just the passion in birds that we share, but it's a passion in all forms of biodiversity. I mean, we can we can keep ourselves occupied whether there's no birds or whether there's plenty of birds. We're always able to find, you know, something to keep us busy that's, re- you know, related to nature. So I'm very, very fortunate in that regard. Oh, that's really awesome. So when we speak to people about birding, a lot of people think of birding or bird watching as as exciting as watching paint dry. So what do you think it is that makes birding so exciting? Yeah, it's a tough question because I think, you know, there's so many fine aspects that make birding, you know, really, really fun. I think for me, the main thing is it's like always expect the unexpected. So in terms of the, the, the interest in birds, I think that stems from my love for nature and wildlife. Uh, that's that's the formative interest. The interest in 
you know, continuing to learn more about birds and birding as a whole, I think is, yeah, I think linked to that expect the unexpected. You, you never know what to expect when you go out. There's, there's always birds somewhere. You just don't know what birds are going to be where. And there's always the possibility of something weird turning up. So I think that to me is is one of the main grasping things. My interest in birds, like I said, is because of my overall interest in biodiversity. But birds are just absolutely so incredible. I mean, if it's if it's not, you know, the ridiculous displays of birds of paradise or, you know, the adaptations of birds in various other facets of, you know, surviving life, there's always just something which is just mind-blowing to me. I think that's what's hooked me into birds as a whole and and the art of learning more about that and birding as a such or bird watching is uh, is obviously linked to that that deep-rooted um love and interest that constant yearning to learn more about these incredible animals on our planet i think what a lot of people don't always get is this it's it's not just the birds you see it's the stories around the birds that you see the people you meet the experiences you have when yeah. i was chatting to Farnseed, we we're just talking about places that we found that we would have never found if we were not birders yeah no definitely and you know and birding takes you to weird and wonderful places and it's, i mean I, I know your interview with trevor i mean trevor i took margaret his wife on their first day to the pole bird uh pole sewage works i mean you know, where in your life would any normal person realistically want to go spend their time at a sewage works? They didn't take their, you know, their future wife on on their first date there. You know, it's, it's quite it's quite crazy. But you know, birding is it's that's definitely another aspect that you know has me hooked on birding. Is it takes you to places you would never normally go, and even takes you to places you otherwise wouldn't have really wanted to go to. But it, it's taken you there because of maybe one or two or a group of specific birds that are sort of in that area. You're able to witness cultures that you, you wouldn't otherwise wouldn't have. You are meeting people and engaging with people from different walks, different cultures, races, religions. And the thing is, is regardless of those different you know, aspects of life, you are you know, able to communicate with one another and share a common ground because of that same shared love for birds. And I think it's fantastic because no matter where they come from, like I said, race, religion, you know, whatever the case might be, you are able to engage with them because you share that same passion. It's a global language, you know, that no matter where you come from, a bird is able to speak. So what's your favorite local destination and what's your favorite international birding destination? <laughs> it's also a tough question. Uh, you know, South Africa, we're so fortunate to have such incredible birding destinations here in South Africa. I have a very fond liking towards um, high altitudinal grassland. I don't know why. I think it's because of my love for being cold. I just love the cold weather. And I know that the high felt grassland generally gets quite cold. But that aside, there's some pretty cool birds. I don't know. I just I enjoy the breathtaking scenery and, you know, the sounds and the birds and, and everything in that sort of biome. So, I mean, if you, if you take me to, you know, anywhere in the Drakensberg, if you take me to Sani Pass or um, if you take me down to Wackerstrom, I love, 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 love those places. So, for me in South Africa, that's brilliant. I'm also a firm favorite of Zululand, uh, the Zululand region. Of course, Zulu Natal spent a lot of my time there working with Bejan Nature Training and assisting them with facilitating their, you know, bird guide courses. And Zululand has a fond, fond uh, place in my heart as well, the sand forests. And it's just, it's mind-blowing Zululand as well. So yeah, that's, those are probably my, my favorite local destinations if I had to choose some. So 
a lot of people that listen to this podcast are not necessarily birders. So I'm going to ask you to demystify a couple of birding terms and help bring some clarity. So if someone's listening and they have never done this birding thing, they want to know what these terms mean, I'm going to ask you to be our guide for the, for, for the next couple of minutes. So firstly, is there a difference between a bird watcher and a birder? There, there is definitely a difference because I think the act of birding is actually going out into the field and trying to see, you know, visiting different places, visiting different areas and trying to see what you can see. You know, you're specifically going out into the field to partake in the act or the activity of birding. You're going out with one sole mission and that is to find birds and enjoy birds. Bird watching, I think, is extremely similar. So I think the difference is a fine one. Um, and there's a very fine line between the two. Bird watching, I think, of more people who sit down and who will, you know, sort of do do it in as, as a pastime. You know, they might be on a game drive. You know, they might go out and say, okay, well, we're going to look for game, but we're also going to take note of birds as well. So, you know, they, they'll do a bit of bird watching. Uh, they might be sitting on their porch, whether at home or at their lodge or at their holiday home. And they might say, okay, well, we want to see what birds we're going to see. And that, I think, to me, is more the bird watching aspect. They are sort of waiting to see what birds might come to them. Whereas the art of birding is actually going out and, you know, trying to get yourself to the birds, if, if that makes any kind of sense. I think the lockdown has turned a lot of birders into bird watchers. Yes, definitely. Okay, a couple of other terms. What does the word twitcher mean? The term twitcher is given to those who are mental enough <laughs> to, to drop everything at the last minute and go chase after a rare vagrant bird that has turned up. Whether it's a vagrant bird for their home atlasing pentad or whether it's a vagrant bird for the province or a vagrant bird nationally. It's somebody where a, a rare bird has turned up. They are wanting to go after that bird and the sole purpose is not to spend time bird watching or birding, but to go after that bird and that bird alone. And often people will go to immense lengths. I mean, the stories that I know of lengths that people have gone through after birds, myself in particular, is quite astounding. So if somebody is called a twitcher, obviously it has sometimes a lot of people put a negative connotation to it because again, they don't enjoy that aspect of birding, so to say. But uh, it's basically, yeah, it's the thrill of the chase. It's a rare bird that's just turned up and you're going to go after it. And you, your sole aim is to find that bird. Okay, next term, laugher. So a lifer is a new bird to your specific list. It can be, uh, you know, obviously it's a bird on your life list. So whatever list you might keep, if it's a Southern African life list, it is a list of birds you've seen throughout the course of your life within Southern Africa. If you have an international life list, it is birds you've seen throughout the course of your life in, in you know, internationally across the globe. So a new bird added to that list is called a lifer. And what's your current life list sitting on? My current life list for Southern Africa is on 860. And my global life list, I think, is just over 1,400. So it's remarkably low in comparison to what a lot of birders' life lists are out there. But I think uh, in, the, in the near future, I'm going to be fortunate enough to have that number climb and climb, climb quite uh, drastically, I hope. And then another word which is the nemesis of a lot of birders the term lbj what does that mean so the term lbj uh is often used as little brown job 
So basically, it's warblers, cysticulars, larks, and pipits. Those four groups of birds are, you know, really, as you say, birders' nemesis because of the ID conundrum that they cause nine times out of ten. So rather than sit and contemplate, a lot of a lot of birders will just, you know, pass it off as, ah, oh, no, that's just a little brown job again, you know, and they'd rather not attempt the gigantuan effort that's required to often sift through plumage details and all of that to narrow down the bird that they're looking at uh, and what species it is. So John, obviously I've read a lot of and heard a lot of the stories about the amazing adventures you've been on, but what does a normal day's birding look like for you? Normal day birding for me, there's, there's two different types of normal days. I have a day where I might just go out casually birding or there's a, a day where I'm, you know, working in a professional capacity as a professional bird guide. The first one, if I'm casually birding, you know, we'll generally prep the day before, you know, put some snacks together, stuff like that. And we'll get up sort of, you know, just before, you know, sunrise, we'll then get into the car, we'll head out and we'll take it super chilled, super easy. And we'll just enjoy what we can see, you know, record as many birds as we can. But obviously that's not the aim. The aim is to just enjoy what there is, see what we can find. And, uh, you know, photograph a couple of stuff here and there as well. You know, we, we are nowhere near any type of professional photographer level. We are the lowest of the lowest amateurs but we enjoy photographing what we can as well so we'll enjoy it and uh you know we'll we'll head back take the day at a leisurely pace and then uh, you know head back when we think we you know we, when we've had a good day if we're working professionally it's a lot more it's a lot more structured you know the day before there's a lot of planning that goes into in, you know that, that's involved you know the evening before we have to make sure that the cooler boxes are ready the food's ready the tea coffee the table the tablecloths everything must be ready the next morning it's into the vehicle and we are generally you know heading to where our client needs to be picked up you know 30 to 40 minutes before in case there's some or other kind of issue on the road or whatever the case might be pick the clients off and then wherever they want to go whatever they want to do their interests are the main priority um so if they're after a specific species then it's goggles on and and we are after that specific species and we will work our backsides off until we get that specific species or accomplish seeing a particular species on a on a specific list that they may have. If their goal is just to enjoy the birds and birding, then the aim is to head out and best maximize our time in a specific area and just really, really work the area nice and well and make sure that we can see what we can see. Often those days are a lot you know, less relaxed in terms of us having to achieve something certain. So it's obviously not the best time at the moment for the tourist industry, but if there's anyone listening who's maybe looking to go into guiding or maybe someone who's new in guiding, what are some tips you could give? So, yeah, I mean, as you say, it's, a, it's very interesting times we might find ourselves in. Uh, well, we do find ourselves in, but um, it doesn't mean that, you know, people should stop looking at the tourism industry. You know, the tourism industry contributes 10% of South Africa's annual GDP. So in South Africa, it's, it, it plays a, it's a massive, massive chunk um, and it's a huge industry and it's a crucial industry as well. So definitely don't pass the possibility of investigating tourism. Obviously, now is not the best, the best time, but it will recover and it will, it will get there eventually. If you're looking at getting into guiding, you need to start off with, you know, getting the, the correct qualifications done. And that begins with the Field Guides Association of South Africa. So if you're wanting to be a qualified professional guide in South Africa, you need to go visit the Field Guides Association of South Africa, their website, read through their qualifications. And basically, you need to get the minimum qualification, which is a apprentice field guide with, or the old level one. And you need to get that. You need to register with 
various other bodies and you will then be able to professionally guide within South Africa. If you want to look into going into professional bird guide and the more specialist guiding area, then basically what you can do is Fogasa also op, you know, offers birding qualifications, but basically you need to just continue learning and and trying your best to find ways on how to learn and better your, your, your birding knowledge and your skills as a birder. And eventually once you start doing that. Companies involved in the avatourism tourism industry will take more note of you. And uh, one of the first things companies will do is assess your birding knowledge and your birding skills. So uh, you're fortunate if you've, before you've gotten into guiding, you've been a birder before, you decided to become a guide and you, that has merely just backed up, given more meat to your overall skills as a, as a guide. And then yeah, they'll, they'll take note of that for sure. But that's definitely the way you need to go. You need to look at the Field Guides Association of South Africa get the proper qualifications done and dusted, and then you'll have, you can start looking at getting involved in the avatourism tourism industry. I'm always fascinated when I look at the birds that you guys see on the field, you see some phenomenal birds. And I must be honest, sometimes I go out to the same places and I don't see half the birds you see. So let me, let me tap your brain for a moment on a practical level. Let's just pick one biome. You spoke about grassland birding, which I'm, I loved in grassland birding. How do you think you can have a day of, effective grassland birding where you can maximize your time maximize your species what suggestions would you give so i think what's important is you need to make sure that whenever you go birding you need to get into you know whatever habitat you get in you need to be there at sort of sunrise you need to understand the fact that the dawn chorus is integral part in you know getting species which would otherwise not be vocal throughout the rest of the day um or if they are vocal it would be you know remarkably less so than what they are in the morning. So getting to an area early morning is key to enjoy the dawn chorus and basically to sit there and make use of your ears and start running through what birds might be in the area. In terms of grassland birding, what I always find best is to, because you're dealing with large expanses of areas, I generally will sort of just drive extremely slow. Like if I'm working a grassland area where there's a bunch of dirt roads and stuff, I'll drive extremely um, slow. I'll have all the windows down, aircon off, whatever the case, my heater off, radio off, and I'll have my head sort of off out the window and I'll be listening, listening, listening. And I try to keep my foot on the accelerator because obviously that makes the engine, you know, run louder. And that sort of helps me. And I'll make sure that I stop, you know, every couple hundred meters or so, just stop, switch off, listen, listen, listen get out, you know, do, you know, walk a couple, couple meters or so, um, spend five or 10 minutes, get in the car and then move off. So I think it's, it's key to do that early morning. And then as the day sort of, or as the morning progresses to then start of working that if you were if doing that, if you're working a large area and then, yeah, I think in terms of, of making it, you know, more successful, I think just don't rush, you know, there's no need to rush. Often the birds come to you. And I find that a lot of the time people are so excited and so keen on finding birds that they will move on from a spot when it's not necessary to do so. You know, the birds are there. You've just got to spend time there. It's about patience. And if anything, if I've learned anything over the years that I've been a birder, it's about patience, whether it is working for a bird, a specific bird somewhere, and I know the bird's there, but it's not being cooperative. It's just about patience, 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 patience. And understanding that often it's not about you racing to the spots or you racing to try find the birds, but often it's about just being patient and waiting for them to do the, the hard yards and for them to come to you. So here's a bit of a random question. What snacks do you like to put into your snack box for a day's birding? 
Yeah, I don't know. So, sometimes it depends. It, like, because sometimes I'm very naughty. Like I'll put like your Woolies muffins and stuff like that or or my kryptonite. I'm not gonna lie. And caramel Swiss rolls, those also, those will I can put those back like a homesick mole. But you know, I think I think there's a bunch of stuff. But I mean ugh, the normal the normal snacks and stuff, sandwiches and you know, rotisserie chicken or something which I'll end up cutting up, or perhaps dinner from the night before. That's if I'm going birding personally. You know, I will generally just put whatever we have in the fridge and we'll probably just go treat ourselves and get a couple of other nice nibbles and stuff like that. But I think liquids for us is key. You know, we'll always make sure we've got a cooler box, always make sure that we have enough liquids with us because you never know. Bird is going to weird and wonderful places. We often run into scenarios we aren't predicting. And uh, you never know when you might need liquids. So we always make sure we have enough liquids. But yeah, and then, you know, when we're guiding, we obviously make sure that, you know, the snacks that we provide are obviously at a much higher standard. It's not leftover dinner from, from the night before. You know, we make sure that we cater for, you know, an, an exceptionally high standard. On a non-professional level, if you and Tony were planning to go on a birding holiday, what sort of preparation would you do for that holiday? So we obviously make sure, you know, if we're going to a specific area with a specific goal in mind, we need to make sure, you know, if we're heading up to northern Namibia, for example, you know, Tony still needs cave chat and Cinderella wax ball. So, you know, in doing our homework for that specific area, we'll need to make sure that um, our time at the specific lodge is correct and enough. We need to make sure that the season is correct and not, you know, not working against us in terms of rainfall. We need to make sure that we are both brushed up in terms of calls for birds in that specific area. We need to work out maps and distances, times it's going to take us to travel, fuel stations, all of that. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff we take into mind. We're fortunate to know a lot of the stuff because we're active in a lot of these areas. So the research in that which we, that we do nowadays is more in terms of recent sightings and recent gen whether it be for the specific targets in mind or just stuff that we would like to catch up with again. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll always make sure that we try and catch up with the most recent gen or sightings that have been from that specific area that we'll go to. I think that is probably the most, the most key thing after or alongside working out logistics of the trip, such as fuel accommodation, um, food and all that jazz. And where do you get the information to see what birds have been seen in different places? There's a couple of places you can, you know, you can get this from. There's, a, there's some good groups on Facebook. There's a group actually called SA Birders Gen, which is fantastic. We often just talk to a couple of our friends, a couple of mates. We're fortunate to have, um, you know, a lot of our friends are involved, either avid, avid, serious, serious birders or, or professional bird guides as well who operate in the area. So we found out from there. But, you know, I think for, for people who don't have those contacts, I think Facebook and social media is an incredible resource. And, you know, often if you ask questions, people will be happy to answer use social media to the best of your ability and obviously don't you know forget about the fact that textual um, resources are fantastic as well you know the book bird finder southern african bird finder i think is still the bible of birding sites in southern africa it's fantastic if you do not have it make sure that you get it obviously when lockdown eases but it is fantastic and even though it is a fairly dated book 80 percent of that information in the guide is still relevant is still spot on and is still fantastic so uh, social media and a combination of text-based resources as well I think what was an amazing, that book Bird Finder, I'd never seen a secretary bird. It was quite a while ago. And I remember going up to Underberg and it told you drive on the road and it literally told you, this is the area, look here for secretary birds. And I remember driving there, stopped along the road and there was a secretary bird. So it was an amazing car. Uh, yeah. doesn't yeah. always work like that, but it was, it worked that day. 
you've spoken about social media and you know how you use it when you in preparation for a trip. So let's ask a question: How do you think social media has affected birding in a positive way? And on the other side, how has social media possibly affected birding in a negative way? So the times are changing, Adam. I, I do think that you know society as a whole is a, is now becoming a lot more driven by technology. I mean, if anything, this COVID nineteen pandemic and being locked down has forced people to come to that realization that life can go on and you are still able to accomplish stuff, if not accomplish more through technology than doing stuff in person. So, And sometimes it's a lot more practical to do it by making use of technology. I mean, look at us now. We're having this discussion whilst you're sitting in KZN and I'm sitting in Joburg and it's like we're sitting face to face. It's brilliant. So society as a whole is becoming a lot more technology driven. Part of that is social media. Social media gives us the opportunity to engage with people, to know people, to showcase your brand, to showcase your company, to keep in contact with friends and loved ones. It's, it's a platform which shouldn't be viewed in a negative light. In terms of birding, technology and social media has influenced us positively because if you look at stuff like finding our gene on specific birds, specific birding sites, locations, people are able to share that now. They are able to share their experiences simply by pressing comment underneath somebody's post. And in the past, that would never be the case. You'd have to wait for a magazine article. You'd have to wait for an email through the birdnet. Days prior to birdnet, I, I don't even know <laughs> because I wasn't, you know, when I joined birding, the SA BirdNet email server was, you know, something I wasn't even familiar with. So, you know, it's, it's positively impacted because we have access to a lot more information and we are able to learn so much more from so many different people and their areas of expertises and their personal experiences because we have the opportunity to engage with them. So I think it's fantastic in that light. On the, on the negative aspect, in terms of, you know, people will say that you're taking away from the fun of birding and the fun of IDs and people just post pictures and, you know, ask, you know, please can you ID this bird? And they might themselves not necessarily go and try and ID that bird. But, uh, you know, that's, that's where society is heading. And us as, you know, birders are heading. It's definitely a lot more technology driven. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's plus sides and there's negative sides. But I do think that the, the pros far outweigh the cons and it, technology and social media has definitely helped further develop and grow birding as a hobby because it's been able to bring it to people's attention, to showcase it, to showcase the fun, have tales and experiences shared and uh, it's brilliant. It, I think it's definitely a positive. You touched on something there and you spoke about how birders use social media to help with bird identifications and that kind of thing. So what advice would you give to new birders? Because I remember, and I, a lot of times it still is quite daunting to identify certain birds. So what advice would you give to new birders? So, yeah, I think the first bit of advice I would say is that don't get overwhelmed. I definitely think Coming fresh into birding, you open up your field guide and you're going to be a little bit overwhelmed initially. Don't let that overrun you and don't let it deter you from wanting to learn more because it does get better. Every single one of us had to start and every single one of us experienced some other sense of overwhelmingness when we delved into this incredible hobby because there's a lot of information to process. There's a lot of birds, there's a lot of similar looking birds. You don't know the families and it can all just be quite overwhelming. So don't let that happen to you. I think that is crucial because the minute you do that, 
all you do is it affects you negatively and you might not want to pursue it any further. So take it systematically. You know, I always say to people, start with what's in your garden, okay? And that starts with going through your bird garden. If you see a bird sitting at the feeder, take a picture or take some notes of it. Just, you know, take good recognition of it and at some of its ID features and then sit down and just start paging through your book and see, all right, could it be this, could it be that? And start working with, you know, various ID features or features that you've observed of that bird. Once you've started identifying the birds in your garden, you become familiar with them, whether or your garden, your gamers or whatever the case might be, uh, and you become familiar with it, then you start taking your field guide with you to other places you might go, whether it's on holiday to the Kruger National Park or whether it's, you know, to the beach and you want to start IDing stuff there that you see. Then you start introducing different birds, different families into the mix. And you start, the more and more you start going through your field guide, the more and more you are spending time in the field, the more you start to become familiar with the field guide and the less overwhelming the entire thing becomes. So for me, it's always just start somewhere and that's in your area, your neck of the woods, and what's in and around your immediate vicinity. The minute you do that, you can start branching yourself wider. And I've seen it with people who've just started birding. I've seen it with guides who have never been interested in birding as well, but who we've spent time with. And two weeks later, they've started a list. They've started familiarizing themselves with the birds in their area. And after about a month or two, three months spent in their specific area and getting familiar with their birds, They want to start branching out further. And the minute they start branching out further, because they've gotten rid of that overwhelming feeling surrounding the whole topic and surrounding that ominous looking thick bird guide of theirs, you know, they've they've been able to properly pursue the hobby, you know, without being deterred. Uh, John, that's really, really good advice. I think not just for new birders, but possibly even for more experienced birders, just to keep on to keep on growing in terms of our birding. I think we we never get to that place where we arrive. There's always always room to keep on growing as birders. 100%. 100%. So are there any birders that you look up to? There's plenty of birders I look up to. There's, there's many, many birders I look up to. I would do somebody an injustice if I were to sit down and name them now, or at least name some of them. A lot of them are prominent ornithologists. A lot of them are well-respected and professional field guides in the abattoirism industry, or bird guides in the abattoirism industry. And I think to sit down and compile a list would just, do somebody an injustice. There are far too many people who've influenced my knowledge gaining journey as a birder, um, who've influenced my skill set, who've influenced the way I view birding and my path in the avi tourism industry and establishing my own company alongside with Tony, or our own company, I should say. So there are so many people who have positively influenced us. It would it would be wrong of me to sit down and, and individually name them, but there are, there's plenty out there. And, you know, I would just like to say that whether you are young, whether you are old, identify individual birders whose skills you enjoy, whose personality you might respect, whose way with birds and explaining things might appeal to you. Identify those individuals and learn from them because it is so important to spend time with people who are more experienced than you, whether it's in terms of birding as a whole or whether you yourself are a professional birder, but they might have far superior knowledge in, in a certain regard or certain aspect of birding that you yourself as a professional can still benefit from. And that's what's so fantastic about the 
birding community is that we are constantly learning from one another. I mean, I can guarantee you Fancy still learns plenty from Trevor and Trevor still learns plenty from Fancy. And, uh, you know, each of them probably has their own respective inspirations as well, you know, in the birding world. It's just, that's what's so fantastic about the community. But if I were to say, if I would give any advice to anybody, identify people who you enjoy and who you can learn from and don't be afraid to have a, have a couple of them and just take as much knowledge from them as you can which will help further and better you as a birder and your birding knowledge so john just in closing can you tell us a little bit about your your company uh, untamed birding and just a little bit about what you guys are about where you operate your tours and how people can get in touch with you I know you've been doing some amazing stuff on Instagram. So also just share a little bit about what you've been doing during lockdown and how people can connect with that. No, happily. I mean, Untamed Birding is is sort of just my own my own uh, Instagram name. <laughs> Ironically, I've probably ended up being tamed since I've met Tony. But uh, no, our, our company is Expedition Birding, Global Birding and Wildlife Tours. Um, like I said, I was involved with a, a large global bird tour operator for about five years. Tony and myself, they needed to start making decisions with regards to the future. And, you know, like we spoke about earlier in this podcast, we share so many different in biodiversity and birding related interests that we wanted to take that. And, you know, at the end of the day, we, we share a common goal and that's to share our passion and love for nature and biodiversity and birding um, with as many people as possible. And the way we were going to do that is through a um, running a tour business in the avi tourism industry. So we started up Expedition Birding and basically we run global birding and biodiversity tours. And we say we include the biodiversity part because you come birding with us. And obviously we bear in mind the fact that there might very well be a goal and that's birding or specific birds, whatever the case might be. But we will always um, try our best to bring to light other aspects of biodiversity as well and uh, form an appreciation for that with our guests to the best of our capabilities because we love everything biodiversity related. And you can get hold of us through social media at the moment. Our website's currently under construction. We are very active on social media. Tony.Geddes and my own Instagram page, her Instagram page, Tony.Geddes, um, and mine at Untamed Birding. We share a lot of our expedition birding content on that because ultimately we view all of our, you know, profiles linked as one in a, you know, an expedition birding sort of, social media community so you can follow any one of those three platforms on instagram or facebook and uh, you'll be getting some proper um hopefully beneficial to you guys content um from expedition burning well john i'll be sure to post the links in the in the comment section but i just want to say thanks for coming on the show i know you guys have been really busy during lockdown but thanks so much for giving up your time to be on the show i really appreciate it no, thanks, Adam. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity as well. And to add the opportunity to slot into your this fantastic podcast of yours soon after the likes of, you know, renowned birders in our community, Trevor, uh, Fancy, you know, it's, it's humbling to say the least. And uh, I hope that this podcast can prove beneficial to, you know, young, old, beginner birders, experienced birders. At the end of the day, um, you know, just as many people who can get involved in this incredible pastime and to start getting a, a better appreciation for the environment and nature, you know, that to me is what's important. So it's, it's humbling to have the opportunity to slot into your series um, after, you know, people who've had an influence um, like that on our birding community here in South Africa. So thank you, Adam. I appreciate that. Thanks, John, for being on tonight's show. 
Make sure to follow John and Tony on social media to keep up with all the exciting adventures. So I said at the beginning of the show that I was going to tell you how you could win a copy of Fancy's Bird Book, a bird book for kids. Here's what you need to do. Number one, follow the Birding Life account on SoundCloud. Secondly, head over to Facebook and like the Birding Life's Facebook page. I'll put the link in the comments of this episode. Thirdly, I want you to share the post that advertises this episode of the podcast on Facebook. Every time you share the post, you get one entry to win the book. So share it as many times as you can. But don't forget, you have to be following The Birding Life on Facebook. Please note that the book will only be posted once postal services in South Africa are back to normal. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. And until next time, be blessed and happy birding.